people living longer, meaning that they're also living longer with conditions that can impact their occupational performance. So their ability to complete those things that we value every day. Welcome to our podcast, Teaching and Leading with Dr. Amy and Dr. Joy. I am Dr. Amy Viaclia, Director of Educator Preparation. And I am Dr. Joy Patterson, Chief Diversity Officer. Our podcast addresses issues through the lens of diversity, equity, and inclusion, along with solutions for us to grow as educators. So join us on our journey to become better teachers and leaders. So let's get into it. Hello, Dr. Joy. Hello, Dr. Amy. I'm excited for this new academic year. One thing that I'm excited about is that we will take the podcast to radio sometime in this new academic year. So I am excited about that. And the other thing I'm excited about is how we're broadening. For all of our listeners, we're really broadening who we bring to the table. And today is an example of how we broaden that. But one thing that I would say that we stay true to, Amy, whether we're trying to or not, is that diversity, equity, inclusion are always at the forefront of our conversation. So I'm looking forward in going into this new season with you. I am too. And when we think about teaching and learning, and we started out uh, in season one talking about teaching and learning theory versus practice. And there's not really, we, we discovered over a long stretch that it's theory and practice and it's intention and it's having students at the forefront. It's all of it. We also really talked about throughout several episodes and the first few seasons that teaching and learning is for all educators, very, uh-huh. very broadly defined. Yep, yep. And even parents are educators. So I want to make sure that we throw that in there because that's our first job, right? And so there's something here for parents, for students, administrators, researchers, all aspects of education. And with this, when you mentioned broadening and really widening our net, it still comes back to our roles as educators like I'm in educator preparation. My role is directing programs that lead to classroom interactions. But we also have roles in professional development with teachers in the community, with other educators and professionals. Today, I think we're tapping into something that doesn't get talked about enough, and it's exposure Uh to different fields, different careers for our young ones, for our middle school students, elementary students to know what is possible. So that said, I'm excited to introduce Dr. Luther King. Dr. King earned his Master of Occupational Therapy from Chicago State University and post-professional doctorate in Occupational Therapy from Governor State University. In May of 2020, he returned to GSU and became an assistant professor in the Department of Occupational Therapy and is an evolving instructor who believes in the pedagogy of caring. 
He is the faculty advisor for GSU's Coalition of Occupational Therapy Advocates for Diversity. And this organization is a student-led group whose efforts focus on educating and promoting the value of diversity in occupational therapy. Dr. Luther King is also active in state and national organizations such as the Illinois Occupational Therapy Association and the Association for Driver Rehabilitation Specialists. Dr. King's research interests have revolved around driver rehabilitation, which has led to publications in peer-reviewed journals and presentations at local and national conferences. Dr. King aspires to develop a community-based driver rehabilitation program affiliated with Governor State University to enhance community mobility for medically at-risk drivers in the South Chicagoland area and beyond. So welcome to our podcast. Can we call you Luther? Please do, please do. Dr. Luther, how are you? I'm pretty good. How about yourself? I'm outstanding. And I know Dr. Amy just read that fabulous bio, but to know you is to really know someone that is caring and that is an activist about your field. And we were just talking about our audience and the broadness of our audience. And not only are you an occupational therapist, you are the ultimate educator. Thank you for being here. So I want to talk And there's a reason that I'm asking this question because you are so unique in many ways to just share your journey about becoming an occupational therapist and then becoming a faculty of occupational therapists. Yeah, so um, I I just think about my upbringing, call myself your typical 80s baby, um, was born in 1982, primarily in the inner city of Chicago primarily raised by my, my grandparents, um, mom and dad, you know, around that time, we all know what was happening during that time um, that impacted children. So I won't go too much into that, but, you know, just growing up in that environment, you know, and, you know, being able to go to school, um, went to magnet school and, and then I ended up having the opportunity to go to a Catholic school for a little bit of time and for seventh and eighth grade. And that kind of you know opened up my eyes to the importance of education and then going into high school and being able to take those basic fundamental skills of math, reading, science and kind of do well in high school, um, well enough to um, be part of the, the National Honor Society as a high school student. Even though the background, you know, I kind of grew up in could have led me to other places. From that standpoint, I always, you know, wanted, know, knew that I wanted to go to school, wanted to better myself. Did I know what I wanted to do? No. So as a kid, my favorite thing to do at that time as a 17, 18 year old was, you know, to play video games. So going into college and, you know, not really knowing what I wanted to do, I was like, okay, well, maybe I can develop a a video game. So I ended up majoring in computer science and uh, the computer programming class took me out a couple of times. So I took that class and didn't want to give up. And then I just found like, okay, you know, this is not for me. I I can't see myself sitting in front of a computer all day and not interacting with people. So my other love is, is basketball. So I thought, well, maybe I can become a basketball coach. So I changed my major from computer science to physical education, because that was the typical route of become what what I thought was um, the typical route to become a basketball coach. Well, I ended up talking to somebody randomly and he was like, well, in the city of Chicago, if you want to be a basketball coach, you don't have to go to school. It just depends on who you know. 
So I'm like, okay, I'm not going to waste my time, you know, getting a degree in PE when it just depends on who I know. So I ended up going back to computer science because I didn't want to feel like I was a failure. I didn't want to give up. So I ended up going back and taking a class and I passed it, but I still had that feeling of, you know, this is not, this is not what I want to do. So by this time, I think it was my junior year and I'm like, I really need to figure it out. Um, so at Chicago, I went to Chicago State University for my undergrad and uh, they had a course catalog that had occupational therapy. And I was kind of reviewing, again, reviewing a catalog and I saw occupational therapy. I never knew what it was, but it said something that spoke to me, which was, you know, I knew that I wanted to help people. And this was a potential way that I could help people. And I did a little research, found out there's some creativity in how we help people. And then I went and talked to um, the chair at Chicago State. She's still the chair there, uh, Dr. Leslie Roundtree. I went and spoke with her and um, she kind of, you know, gave me some more information about the profession and kind of what I needed to do to get engaged there or get into the program at Chicago State University. And that's kind of how, you know, how that journey started for me, um, just kind of falling into it. And when you talk to a lot of occupational therapists, um, if they weren't exposed at an early age, they'll tell you that they just kind of fell into it or they just kind of found out about it randomly and, you know, found out more about it, and which kind of drove them to become occupational therapists. And what about becoming an educator? Yeah, so that, that's a little bit different. As I matriculated through the OT program and finished up, you know, passing my board exam and becoming a, a full-fledged clinician, I primarily worked in um, a skilled nursing facility, but I also had, you know, at that particular uh, skilled nursing facility, I was able to do multiple things. I was able to see inpatients. I was able to do a little bit of outpatient. Also during that time, did a little bit of home health here and there. So I had, you know, kind of a, not, not a full spectrum, but a semi-full spectrum of occupational therapy services. And after being there for about eight years, I wanted to do something more. So that facilitated me seeking out to go and earn my doctorate in occupational therapy. So I earned my master's in occupational therapy at, at Chicago State University. And then I saw doctoral opportunities because in my mind, what I wanted to do was just kind of free up some time by becoming a faculty member. At least that's what I thought it was at that time, that I was going to have a bunch of free time. But we all know the truth about being a faculty member at a university level in terms of your time. But in my mind at that time, I was thinking that I could maybe have some more time so I can pursue some um, entrepreneurial endeavors. Um, so that's kind of how the idea of becoming a faculty member developed for me. But as I got opportunities and one of those opportunities was provided to me um, at Chicago State University in their um, Bachelor of Health Sciences program, where I would go and do some adjunct teaching at night. It was, um, I think it was like intro to health professions or something like that. And that was really my first introduction to teaching and, you know, I had the opportunity, most of my students were African-American students and being able to connect with them and knowing that my knowledge could impact, you know, the trajectory of their careers. Um, that kind of just inspired more um, desire uh, to find a full-time faculty role. I want to dig further into occupational therapy itself. Occupational therapy, what is it? And I'm curious, how do you just stumble upon that? in the catalog and say, hey, that's for me? Well, you know, um, number one, a lot of people don't know what occupational therapy is until they unfortunately have a loved one or them or they themselves have a medical incident that requires them to have occupational therapy. So when I tell somebody that I'm an occupational therapist and all of our, you know, our students will, t will say the same thing. You tell somebody you're an occupational therapist, the first thing people tend to say is that, oh, oh you, you help people find jobs. To a certain degree, they're correct. But, you know, when we think about the word occupation, it's not necessarily a, a job. It's for occupational therapy. It's the skills for the job of living. 
You think about those things that we do every day that we take for granted, whether that's being able to roll out the bed in the morning, put your clothes on, go to the bathroom to wash your face and brush your teeth, make yourself breakfast in the morning, be able to get in your car and drive to work. The uh, performance skills that are necessary to go to work and actually perform the job, whether that's having the muscle strength to open a door, to have a fine motor grasp, to write with a pencil, to be able to sit and cognitively process you know, what's happening during this interview right now. Um, those underlying factors that impact our abilities to do those things that we do every day is pretty much what occupational therapists do um, when someone has a you know injury, illness, or disease that again impacts their ability to to do those things. Right, and to be honest, I didn't know really the difference between physical therapy and occupational therapy until I had to experience it myself after a car accident. And so you're right, many of us we don't really know what it entails until we have to go through it. So I do want to ask you something because you are so unique. And this goes back to something you said earlier. When you were adjuncting, you found yourself actually instructing many minorities, which I found strange because I was reading a study. And here, let me just tell you a little bit about the abstract of the study. It says the gender, ethnic, and racial diversity OT professionals do not represent the diversity found in a population and thus does not represent the diversity found in our patients and clients, right? And you know this. And in order to carry out American Occupational Therapy Association vision to create a diverse workforce, and able to meet the needs of the society, because you, you know you told us about that too. So this is a study that it examined the factors and the influencing occupational therapists and why it's so important to have diversity amongst occupational therapists. And then I looked at some of the data and it was similar to what Amy and I see all the time in teacher preparation where the population is growing in diversity, right? And yet those that serve, those that, you know, are the instructors, that's not growing in diversity. So it's not growing at the same rate, which you would anticipate. And so like teaching, I see that from occupational therapists, Black and African-American is only 4.3%. Hispanic and Latino, 7.2%. Also Asian, 7.2%. But then you see that whites or Caucasians, that's like 85%. So again, Amy, it looks really similar, right, to what we see in teacher education. So my question to you is, how did you get here? I know you saw it in the catalog, but did you have a model or mentor that attracted you to this field? You're very rare. I just read the stats on this. And it also says something about females, I believe. So the majority, 93% of OT are females. So, I mean, you're like a double minority <laughs> in this field and it's rare and it's wonderful. So I just want to know from that aspect, did you have a role model or a mentor to get you to where you are now? You know, I, I think about um, my time at Chicago State University, like the chair of the department was an African-American female. There was another, let's say another occupational therapist faculty member at Chicago State University who was, you know, also 
female. So I got a chance to see my first interaction with someone who's an occupational therapist was African-American. However, they were female, you know, so it's Dr. Leslie Roundtree and I'm talking about Dr. Regina Smith. Both are still faculty at Chicago State University. So I think of them as my mentors. I think of as a clinician, most of my, all of, well, all of my fieldwork instructors when I was still a student and out doing my clinical practice, getting my clinical practice experience were females. Most of my colleagues in my first job were females. So I think about, I've had a lot of, you know, I would say I've had a lot of mentorship with no one that looked like me, you know, if that makes sense. You know, even my PT colleagues, you know, most of them were white female. I was and maybe one African-American male, Paul McCoy who I worked with when I was a clinician, you know, so not a whole lot of diversity there. I would say, you know, majority of my mentors have not looked like me. And that makes me think about a story when I, I was at a conference um, while I was a faculty member at the University of Florida, and I believe it was Salt Lake City. And I was coming out of the bathroom and somebody, you know, it was, I think it was another male OT. He stopped me. He was like, you know, like, you're a unicorn. I'm like, you know, what are you talking about? He was like, you're African-American, you're a male and you're an OT. So that, you know, initially that took me aback and I really didn't know how to take that. But, you know, over time and even still to this day, I kind of reflect on that, just a little bit of that experience and, and realize that I am a unicorn, whether it's here in a classroom, out in a clinical world, or as I'm working on developing this driver rehab program, there's, there's really no one that, that looks like me. I mean, that could be a difficult thing to to process, but also it shows that I have value and that I, you know, have the opportunity to show other students the value that they can have in this profession or other people value this profession. I would love to tap into that further. You were talking about just not having a lot of people or really in most of your career, someone who can be a mentor who looks like you. Let's talk about exposure. And you said about students being a model for your future, your students and your and future students in the program. Talk about why that exposure is so important. And really, I want to ask, because a lot of our listeners are in that K-12 environment, how early should there be exposure to different career fields, and particularly occupational therapy? Dr. Joyce, I mean, gave us a solid rationale for why it's important. Look at the percentages of uh, African-Americans in occupational therapy. That's a very, very small percentage compared to the, pa- the patients that we see in hospitals, skilled nursing facilities, home health, those kinds of things. And we know what that means to the outcomes of health and well-being. When you don't see someone that looks like you or you're not working with someone who looks like you, you tend to not really want to participate or you feel like, you know, there's just an overall disconnection there. But when you're working with someone who who you think has a similar background or kind of shares your same complexion, you tend to want to participate. You tend to want to connect. And I, I think that's a little bit of ethnocentricity and that's not a bad thing, but I think it's important for students, especially at an early age to get exposed to the variety of career paths that are out there, especially in, in healthcare with people living longer, people living longer, meaning that they're also living longer with conditions that can impact their occupational performance. So their ability to complete those things that we value every day. I gave them an example of myself where I didn't find out about occupational therapy until I was in college, you know, in my third year of college at that. So that tells you about the need to expose students to occupational therapy. That tells us about what institutions need to do to expose students to occupational therapy. Like everyone knows what a doctor and nurse is, but no one knows what an occupational therapist is, you know, and we have, it's a, it's an extremely valuable profession. 
So, you know, that's kind of why I do what I do. So part of my initiative here, along with being the advisor of the Coalition of Occupational Therapy Advocates for Diversity, is to just expose people to what OT is, number one, and to share that it's important that we have, you know, more minorities in this profession, primarily because of those those outcomes um, that I just spoke about. Yeah, I do want you to elaborate a little bit more about why the diversity is important. I know when I'm looking for a doctor for my husband, he doesn't like to go to the doctor. He really can't give all the reasons of why he doesn't want to go. But whenever I schedule an appointment with him, he's always, do I have to go to that female again? (laughs) He's like, do I have to go to that person again? So I took the time to really search for a doctor that I thought might be suitable for him, someone that he would be comfortable with because it's important that he's able to share information, right? Otherwise, what's the point of going? I can't tell you how difficult it was trying to find someone. I said the best that I could do was get a male who was a former athlete. I said, that's the best I could do for you because it was so difficult finding someone in diversity and gender and all of these things that was a good match for him, someone that I felt that he could open up to. Can you talk more about why diversity is so important and the people that you touch, you know, because it's not just the physical condition that you're treating, right? It's also the psyche and the social and the emotional aspects that you're treating as well. Sure, and I'm glad you bring up the you know that, that what we call an occupational therapy that psychosocial component, um, because our roots are in mental health and uh, what we call uh, psychosocial issues. With that, anybody that we come across as occupational therapists, no matter if they're just there for you know in a hospital for a knee replacement, that is something that's going to impact you know someone's psychosocial health and well-being. So it's important to help facilitate that person's progress. I think facilitating that person's health process by working with someone that looks like, like you just gave that example, is, is really beneficial. Research states it. We know that, you know, just by in, in public, if we go to a lunchroom and there's a multitude of people there, we're more likely to sit with someone that looks like us. It's just, again, that ethnocentricity. And the healthcare field brings about great outcomes. When you're working with someone that looks like you, when you're working with someone that comes from a, the same background as you, when you're working with someone, even though, you know, maybe you were born and raised in the South suburbs and you're working with someone who lives in the inner city, understanding their environment. And this goes beyond just just race and ethnicity. It's just having some cultural humility um, when you're working with someone. And if you're working with someone who is of the same background, so to speak, um, it just makes it easier, especially for us as occupational therapists, as we, you know, we think about those cultural contexts. We think about, you know, the environment that this person is coming from. Think about, again, some of those performance skills that are, are impeding the ability to uh, complete those, those everyday um, activities that, you know, that we all really value, especially when we can't do them. Before we segue into your passion, I would like to know more about what the work that you are doing in schools. What are some of your efforts to recruit students and to really expose younger ones to this career path? Yeah, as part of the Illinois Occupational Therapy Association, I'm part of the Community Engagement Committee. Part of our role is going out to um, underserved communities and educating students of diverse backgrounds on occupational therapy. So that's part of where that comes from. But I'm also an advisor for COTAB, which is our Coalition of Occupational Therapy Advocates for Diversity. Um, It's a student group here on campus. All of them are occupational therapy students. 
And part of that, again, you know, spreading that word of diversity is for us to go out to, we've been really focusing on high schools just because it's a little bit easier to get into high schools and just go into, to talk with them about occupational therapy, you know, different than, you know, when some other folks come in and talk about their health, health careers, just exposing students to what the profession is, how they can earn a degree, the kind of financial situation they can be in by attaining a degree in occupational therapy and working in the field and just exposing them to the variety of different avenues that occupational therapy can, can send them on. You know, um, occupational therapists, we work with people from the, the NICU, so little babies who are coming from the NICU to the end of life. So if you think about that, you know, occupational therapists work with a variety of people in a variety of settings. And again, a, a big piece there is that there's that creativity um, and uniqueness that you can bring when you're working with a client because we're a client-centered profession. Um, so it's all about what the client needs, where they're at, and where they want to go. How might a local high school reach out to get some professional exposure or like some kind of conversation with students? How might they do that? Um, they can contact me at my email address, which is lking3 at govst.edu. That's one of the best ways to do it. But we've been actively reaching out to local high schools, um, such as Homewood Flossmore. We have a rich township um, nearby. I've, my son's high school, I've gone and presented there with by myself, as well as I've taken students, which is a Richards High School, which is located in Oakland, Illinois, very diverse high school in terms of the, the student population there. Um, and we're also looking at trying to get into elementary schools because it's important to start there and start as early as we possibly can. Um, and our, you know, our student group is, is working on that, as well as the Illinois Occupational Therapy Association um, Community Engagement Committee is working on that as well. Right. And I'm so glad that you mentioned that age range, because I think that's going to spark some attention that you're not just dealing with one age of population. You're dealing with children all the way to our elderly population. And I think that's so important. Let's talk about some of your passion within the OT field. What gets you passionate? What are some of the things that you're working on? What are some of the things that you aspire to do? Yeah, so my passion is is driver rehabilitation. Um, and what that is, is um, I work with people who are medically at risk. So, you know, anyone who, you know, suffered either an injury, illness, has a disease that's impacting their ability to operate a motor vehicle, they should be properly evaluated to make sure, number one, they have good driver fitness. In occupational therapy, we don't talk about driver safety. That's for like, you know, the police officers, so on and so forth. So we think about it in terms of driver fitness, those underlying components that um, allow somebody to safely or to fitly operate a motor, motor vehicle. So that's making sure that they have, you know, proper sensation, enough strength to turn the steering wheel, making sure they have good range of motion to access the accelerator and brake pedal are those kind of underlying things that we, you know, that we need to operate a motor vehicle. So that's kind of what I do. I've had the opportunity to um, be a part of developing a driver rehab program at the University of Florida. I've done research in driver rehab with um, veterans during my time in Florida. One of my biggest goals and initiatives is to develop a driver rehab program right here at Governor State University. And the biggest thing there is that there's nothing like it um, that can serve the community here in the South Chicagoland area, as well as Northwest Indiana, when we think about it. You know, if someone wants a wants to have their driving evaluated, um, they would have to go to North Chicago, either further Northwest Indiana for those kinds of services. Having something here centralized will be huge for the community. And not just in terms of driving, but in terms of community mobility. 
Um, everybody thinks of driving as, you know, the sole means of getting from point A to point B, but that's not always the case. You know, there's a number of community resources um, just in the South Chicago land area that can help someone who can't drive, you know, get from point A to point B and still be able to engage in those activities of daily living that they enjoy. Um, one of the biggest things about community mobility that we really don't talk about is that it can lead to isolation. And isolation is probably one of the biggest killers in the world. Not being able to interact or not being able to engage with, with your community leaves folks feeling isolated and that has significant impacts on someone's health and well-being. Yeah, this is really life-changing. You know, when you start talking about isolation and I used to be able to do these things, I can't do that. And it causes depression. Your work that you do is life changing to be able to give people those skills back so that they can work, they can communicate, they can go places. It's just outstanding. So we thank you. This was a wealth of information. I certainly learned a lot. And I'm one of those that didn't know a lot about OT because you don't know until you experience it. And as a young student, when you see people in the medical field, regardless of what they do, we put them into two classifications, right? You're a nurse or a doctor. (laughs) And we don't think about all the many classifications that you all hold and the things that come with it. So thank you for going inside the schools and doing the recruitment. Thank you so much for that. No problem. It's a pleasure. It's actually an honor to be able to do that. And again, you know, have some potential impact on the trajectory of somebody's life. And so I'm wondering too, what are some resources that two things that you need in order to get a driver rehabilitation program up and running in the Southland area? But two, what are some resources that you might suggest for our listeners to learn more about OT or if schools are interested in having materials available for their students? Are there some specific places you would send them? Yeah, and we will make sure we add them to our show notes, Dr. King. Sure, sure. And I can definitely send, I can send you all some links and some additional information as well. You know, one of the biggest places you can go, especially in the state of Illinois, is the Illinois Occupational Therapy Association website, which is ILOTA.org. So you can go there and get as much information about occupational therapy within the state. But obviously, you can go to Governor State University's website and search occupational therapy, and you will find um, wonderful faculty here. This is a, a quick note that we're relaunching our post-professional doctoral program, you know, in January. So we're actively recruiting for that program, which is primarily for occupational therapists who already have their master's and are looking to um, attain a higher level degree. Uh, most universities you will find are entry-level doctoral programs. Our program is a um, master's program. However, whether you're an entry-level doctorate student or you're a master's student, Um, when you go out into the field, you're still going to be entry level. So a lot of students get that mixed up like, oh, I'm going to have a doctor. I'm going to make more money. I'm going to be able to do, you know, a lot more than the master's level. And that's not true. And also Governor State University is one of the least expensive universities for occupational therapy. So when you think about serving an underserved population, um, this is a good place for those students to come and earn a degree while not paying too much for that degree. And I'm hoping that you have the opportunity to use all the acreage that we have to build your program. (laughs) Yes. So back to um, Dr. Amy's question. So one of the biggest resources that we need to develop a driver rehab program is a vehicle, Mm -hmm. um, which would be, you know, outfitted with evaluator equipment. So, you know, the, uh, when you first learned how to drive, the instructor had a brake on that side, I would definitely have that. There's no way I would perform 
um, an evaluation without you know having that instructor grade giving the population that I'm that I'm working with. Um, and then there's you know adaptive equipment that goes into the car. Other resources are space. Governor State University is an ideal space given the given how the campus is set up for introducing someone to driver rehab and taking them around the campus first before we go out to the residential, commercial, and highway roads. Another thing that we're actively looking at getting is a driving simulator. So for those folks who who we are working with who are not fit to go behind the wheel and out in complex traffic situations. A driving simulator is a safe space to evaluate somebody's driving, you know, and those things can be pretty expensive, but we have a lot of support in um, acquiring a car as well as um, a driving simulator. And these things will open up, you know, we talk about creating opportunities for students. If you think about driver rehab as a specialty area of practice, there's not a lot of, you know, African-Americans in driver rehab. So that's another opportunity to increase diversity in occupational therapy by exposing students to advanced or specialized areas of practice. This is also fantastic. I mean, we can't stress and emphasize enough that when you're working with someone and you're servicing people who are looking at you, trusting you, to help them, sometimes that commonality and you said complexion or gender can really build that foundation of trust at the very beginning. And it's such a field that requires trust and requires mutual benefit from each other. You know, you kind of learning and growing together. This has been fantastic. I am so excited about all of the resources that you've shared with us and with our listeners. Let's get excited about the future possibilities for the program that you are wanting to start with the driver rehabilitation and relaunching the program at GSU as well. Yeah, and I just want to make one one last point. You brought up gender, right? So we we talked about OT profession being primarily, you know, dominated by white females. Well, when it comes to males, you know, I was looking at the statistics as well in terms of the age range of men in occupational therapy. And there is nothing listed because there's not enough of us to even measure oh, wow. um, the percentage wow. of men in occupational therapy. So it's not just white females, it's just not a whole lot of men in this profession as well. Most male OTs has this thing when we see each other, we call each other bro tees because it's not a lot of us. <laughs> amongst occupational therapy because it's not a lot so that's you know, not just about the diversity but also we, we think about gender the diversity and gender in occupational therapy um this is really important as well well thank you for sharing it sounds like you have your work cut out for you you have a whole career worth of passion so we're happy to have you here at governor state university thank you so it's a privilege to be here Thank you for listening to Teaching and Leading with Dr. Amy and Dr. Joy. Visit our website at govst.edu slash teaching and leading podcast to see the show notes from this episode. We appreciate Governor State University's work behind the scenes to make publishing possible. Stay tuned for more episodes with Dr. Amy and Dr. Joy.